0: how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace.
1: For Radio Cade, I'm James DiVirgilio. Our guest today is a 2019 Florida Inventors Hall of Fame inductee, University of Florida alumnus, and co-founder of NVIDIA. His name is Chris Malakowski. Chris went on to found a Fortune 1000 company that invented the graphics processing unit, which for me was a large part of my life. It had a big introduction to video games, but that unit did much larger things than that. It's now used by Facebook, Twitter, Google, supercomputers, a whole host of other things. And in fact, Chris and his co-founders transformed the visual computing industry by creating a consumer oriented 3D graphics market. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to hearing about your story. As we spoke off air, your story is like so many other inventors and entrepreneurs stories and that it does not move in a straight, predictable line. Tell us how your story began.
0: Well, I was a, a kid about to get in trouble in New Jersey and uh, wanted to graduate early before I succumbed to the wily ways of my friends. And knew I wanted to get out of New Jersey. It was middle winter, it's slushy, it's cold, it's dreary. And my father was a physician. My parents and their friends all assumed I was to be a doctor. I liked carpentry and cabinet making and, and thought that was the path I wanted, but didn't really think I needed to make up my mind. So what I did decide, it was warm and green was was the criteria for school. If they had a medical school and a building construction school, I could decide later. Let me just get on with my life, get out of New Jersey. And so I applied to Tulane. They had a really pretty lawn and sunny scene on the cover of their catalog. Thought that was attractive. They had a medical school and a building construction school, done. Applied, got in. My parents were a little guessed that I wasn't giving myself more options and that maybe I should at least see the school. So my older brother was given my parents' car, and him and I drove off to Tulane. And after being there for a couple of days, I really didn't think that was going to work out for me. I was going to get myself in some serious trouble in the French Quarter. So on the way home, I was dismayed because I did not give myself any options. Stopped to see a cousin who was going to University of Florida. Spent a couple of days there and, and really did like it and it also had the same characteristics of building construction school and a medical school. And I decided this is cool, so I picked up an application and on the way driving home to New Jersey, I filled it out, mailed it in, got in, and I guess the rest is history. That brought me to florida
1: now tell me about your experience in college and then how your life became what it became because i'm going to love i know before i even hear what you're going to say how life is so much more unplanned than we ever think and i'm okay. looking forward to hearing how those dots connect
0: yeah so at florida you didn't really have to declare a major so i started off doing all the normal general ed stuff with an eye that I was pre-med i remember going to see the pre-med advisor who was very clear and I went with one of my roommates, this is maybe as a sophomore, and the guy looks us square in the eye and says, so who have you helped lately? I said, excuse me? He says, you want to be a doctor? I mean, come on, everybody wants to be a doctor or a lawyer. What's this about? He said, don't even tell me. Your father was a doctor or a lawyer. And the other kid's father was a lawyer. My father was a doctor. He says, you know, what discipline are you going to choose? And I said, well, I was thinking of engineering. My roommate said, you're not going to make that. I mean, you just might as well go home. We walked out of that advisor's office and I'm like crying. My roommate's like, he's talking about me. And it turned out it was really just a challenge. And uh, fast forward three years later, whatever, I'm graduate, I'm getting ready to graduate. I'm going to take the medical school entrance exam, which was uh, in like May and graduation was in like June or maybe it was April, and May, something along those lines and you're supposed to study very hard and, and be very rested because after the morning, it was an all day thing, after the morning session, your grade is supposed to drop considerably in the second half. You're exhausted, you're tired. So I remember going to the uh, Shans Teaching Hospital in Gainesville and I take the first part of the test and I'd stayed over one of the quarter breaks to study and I had a lot to remember because I had electrical engineering as the way I was getting into uh, medical school, you had to pick something and I got an A in that section of physics. It sounded like why not, didn't really have any love for it, but apparently I was good at it. So I'm laying on the picnic table in the Florida sun, trying to relax between the morning session and the afternoon session. And I start thinking of my father, the obstetrician, who would work for five days straight, come home for an hour. Somebody would go into labor, he'd leave. And I'm thinking, is that really what I want for my life? I never even thought about it. Doctor was just a thing. Hero it was like, if I finish this test, I actually might have to be one. And I was thinking, no, I think I'd rather figure out what all the engineering stuff was about. I'd been introduced to computers and electronics and I only took introduction to. Because everything else was chemistries and things aimed at biology and stuff for the medical school. So I thought, no, I actually want to learn more about that. So I changed my mind. Took the rest of the test thought it was easy it was no pressure it didn't matter anymore didn't count i remember buying a six-pack and driving home to the house we were living in and i called my parents and i said mom dad i got good news and bad news well what's the good news son well i thought the test was actually really easy it was made out to be much harder than i actually experienced that's so why i think i probably did pretty well well what's the bad news Well, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. And my mother, without hesitation of a half a second, said, good. You never read directions anyway. We thought you were doing it just for your father. I said, well, okay then. (laughs) So I ended up abandoning my medical school hopes or plans, got a job with Hewlett-Packard in a manufacturing role. Actually, I don't even remember the role I had, but I went off to California to Hewlett-Packard. I'd been transferred twice. What I ended up in was a manufacturing role. I don't even remember what it was I accepted. And it turned out for a kid that had only introduction to as a background, it gave me a chance to sort of figure out what engineering was about and to learn why things work and how you make more than one of something, which turns out to be a very valuable thing for an engineer, not just make the one offs, but build a product that could be produced you know, reliably and tested and repaired and to solve somebody's problem so with that manufacturing background i excelled at it and did well and got invited to join the R and D lab at hewlett-packard and worked on a microprocessor design and i leveraged that into well as that was coming to a close talking about serendipity in the meantime i had married my wife who was from gainesville and We were living in California, we didn't have any kids yet. While I was at Hewlett-Packard, I got my master's at a local college there, and we thought, well, maybe it's time to move before we have kids and get settled down. And I went and interviewed at uh, HP Labs in Bristol, England, I was thinking about moving there, and I didn't want to be paid as a British citizen, I wanted to be paid as an American abroad. The only one at that lab being paid like that was the division manager, so they weren't really interested in, <laughs> in my negotiating a better package so then we thought, well, maybe we'll move to North Carolina. My wife was from Florida, North Florida. I was from Central Jersey, coastal New Jersey. And Raleigh in the North Carolina tech belt there was halfway between. Maybe that's what we should do. And in looking at doing that, I practiced interviewing at a local company, which turned out to be Sun Microsystems. And they had an interest in building some computer graphics. And I realized, one Being in North Carolina wasn't going to help me. It was still a six hour drive to New Jersey or six hour drive to Florida. And it was a six hour flight from California. So in six hours, I was going to get home, whichever home we wanted to go to. So I ended up joining Sun to work on computer graphics with a gentleman, Curtis. Curtis and I did that for six and a half years we ended up building a graphics accelerator graphics chips that accelerated the graphics of the sun workstation which was aimed at professional users and uh, people in industry happened to be the first windowing system then windows 3.1 came out from microsoft and created a consumer windowing system so i was getting some experience with that so at sun we learned i learned the trade of computer graphics curtis was the graphics architect i was the principal chip designer And we made use of a local firm in California that did our chip manufacturing, and I met the third founder of NVIDIA. So Curtis and I, and this gentleman from a company called LSI Logic, decided that we could take what we knew about this professional workstation space and apply it to the consumer space because 3D graphics was such a compelling medium for telling stories, for communicating obviously for games, but there really wasn't much gaming at the time. You know, Wolfenstein and, and the like were early games, but they didn't make use of any acceleration. They just used the programmer's skill to, to get the most out of just a generic PC. And we came in with a product aim to provide a level of acceleration that would allow the game writer to target something much more powerful. And we brought this workstation technology and style of acceleration to the consumer PC, and it was a great idea problem was that we didn't sell to the game writers. We had to sell to Dell. We had to sell to Micron and Gateway and, and these other PC manufacturers. So while we created some really great technology, it was a really pretty shitty product and it didn't help our customer win in their business. And before we ran out of money, we made that recognition and decided what are we in business for to succeed or to create cool technology? And we decided you know, we actually wanted to create something. So we went back, modified what we did to be in line with how Adele or Micron would win. They had to win PC Magazine Editor's Choice Award, and that mean you had to be the fastest. You had to be the best at whatever PC Mag measured. We could do three D graphics, but we couldn't do it at the expense of what they measured, which was two D graphics. So we ended up building world's fastest 2D graphics with 3D. And that launched us out of the doldrums and started our ascension to a real company. And uh, these days, you know, I'm proud to say, I think we're one of the most important technology companies in the world. We're powering devices from your cell phone and laptops to the world's fastest supercomputers. And we're at the heart of AI and autonomous vehicles. And it's been quite a ride.
1: That's an amazing thing. I think what's really unique about your story is it sounds like if I would have asked your 21-year-old self, would you see yourself as an entrepreneur or an inventor or even the word creative maybe? Those were three things you probably would not have applied to yourself.
0: No, and it's, it's kind of funny. Of you know, the three founders of NVIDIA, two of them had an aspiration to start something. I actually didn't. But when the opportunity came, I felt like I had nothing to lose. Yeah, we went without salaries for you know six months, but... I was a well-paid, well-respected engineer, and if it didn't work out, I'd go get another job. We were in an environment where experienced, talented engineers were, were hireable. I never felt we were a real risk. So for me, it was like, well, why not? I should want this. Let me give it a try and uh, it ended up working out quite well i'm glad i took the leap
1: yeah and it's great to hear you also echo something that i've heard countless other entrepreneurs say which is you'll almost never hear someone say the risk was too great i was worried or i was afraid it's something along the lines of what you just mentioned i looked at the opportunity and i thought well whatever happens this will work out i'll find a way to make something else i wasn't
0: worried my family wasn't going to eat or the kids weren't going to get shoes next week but it seemed like something worth trying I would say this to somebody contemplating, don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the glory. Don't do it for the headlines, the press. Do it because it's a passion, because it's too hard. It's too consuming. It's too all encompassing to make it work. You can't imagine the way you'll be tested, the ways you'll be pulled and yanked. And the likelihood is it doesn't work out. I mean, you just got to acknowledge that upfront and not be disappointed, but not let that deter you. If it's something that's important to you and if it's something that accomplishing will be satisfying in whatever way, then I think it's worth doing and you, you got to go into it whole hog.
1: Yeah, I think that's really solid. And and you echo another common theme that's there is if if you really believe in what you're doing, if you're creating something, if you're crafting something, the failures are learning points and opportunities versus crushing blows. If success is your goal, failure then becomes this measuring stick that you're further from it. But when you're building something, it's just, okay, now we know that's not great. And in your story, you actually have that exact moment. I
0: can tell you every major juncture of improvement, profitability, stock price, market share all was on the heels of some disastrous failure easy to hang your head in shame and walk away from and i'm proud of the folks that we have at nvidia i mean adversity brings out the best of of people if they're the right people and you just say hey what can we learn from here how can we be better how can we make this never afflict us again and each one of them has been a big learning curve as a matter of fact when we introduced our first product the one i described as good technology but a shitty product there were something like 35 companies competing with us because we would sell to a board manufacturer and they came and told us They selected us over 35 others. We ended up doing a corporate partnership, but it probably cost us $15 million to develop that first product. And it went into a non-market. And if everybody else did this, there was a half a billion dollars being spent to keep us from succeeding in a non-market. And the reality is if we hadn't failed, because we were the first ones out the gate. We hadn't failed. We had the advantage of being brought into Dell and saying, we can't buy your product because it doesn't help us win. We can't buy your product because it's not the best at this. We had the wherewithal to say, oh, well, we built the wrong product. We were full of ourselves looking to their customer. Well, that doesn't help them. And so almost going out of business and internalizing the lessons made us a better company. And each one of the junctures along our path to here. 25 years later is based on some failure that the right people with the right mindset found a way to leverage into strength. And success. when the
1: idea is bigger than our pride, than our current knowledge, exactly. set, you can make those pivots that you have done. And yeah. that's such an essential, obviously I can tell peace piece, not only in your professional life, but I can tell in your personal life that that's something that you hang your hat on. And I think that's a truism for not only the most successful creators and innovators, but also people to recognize that, hey, I don't know everything. And when something gets the wall here, I can adjust and learn and change. Or I can just keep pushing ignorantly into something that's not going to. Happen. And it's
0: also, and there's another, there's another lesson here. Surround yourself with the smartest people. Be the dumbest one in the room. That'll help you. It may not be this comfortable because your ego isn't being stroked, and not everybody's looking to you for every answer. But that makes you more adept, more nimble. And when the pieces fall, the right collection of people will find a way to reassemble them into something better. You're not a lone wolf. You're a cog in the wheel. You got to build the right wheel.
1: He is Chris Malakowski, co-founder of NVIDIA and a 2019 inductee into the Florida Inventors Hall of Fame. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. I certainly hope this is part one of a part two series of conversations between you and I. For Radio Cade, I'm James DiBorgilio.
0: Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. Liz Gist of the Cade Museum for coordinating inventor interviews. Bob McPeak of Heartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida, for recording, editing, and production of the podcast and music theme. Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville,
1: Florida.